Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. Everyone has heard of Billy Graham. He preached the gospel around the world, of course, for over 50 years, but he wasn't alone at first. I've told some of you this story before, that when Graham preached for Youth for Christ in the 1940s, his close friend, Charles Templeton, also preached the gospel right alongside of him. Now, most people in that day thought that Templeton was actually a better speaker than Billy Graham. Templeton became a believer in 1936 at the age of 19. He was ordained as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel. And by the time that the 1940s came along, he was preaching in stadiums. Tens of thousands of people would come to hear him preach. Christ was definitely preached. People came to know the Savior. And there can be no doubt that God used this man in a special way. But he felt the need for formal theological training. And doubts were starting to creep into his mind So he began to question his faith. In 1948, he enrolled in Princeton Theological Seminary. Now, if you know anything about Princeton and their seminary, you know that this is one liberal school. That didn't help, and his doubts got stronger. And he graduated from Princeton and continued in the ministry, but slowly his confidence in the Word of God began to erode until finally he got to the point where he no longer believed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Templeton renounced his faith and became an agnostic and even wrote a book in 1995 entitled Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Now, after Templeton left the ministry and renounced his faith in Christ, he returned to his home in Canada and he tried a number of different things in his life. He became the editor of a newspaper. He ran for public office. He had an advertising business at one point. He became the host of a radio show. He became a TV anchorman, a magazine editor. He tried to become an inventor and failed at that. It seems that nothing in life, no matter what he did, nothing in life gave him a sense of fulfillment. Nothing gave him satisfaction in life or purpose. He was trying to fill a gigantic hole in his life. Lee Strobel wrote about an interview he had with Templeton shortly before his death. And Templeton said that he thought Jesus was only a man and that there was nothing special about his death at all. But he did say that he admired Jesus. And because of this, he still tried to follow the example and the ethics given by Jesus. Allow me this morning to read Strobel's words at this point of the interview. He said, quote, abruptly Templeton cut short his thoughts. There was a brief pause, almost uncertain whether he should continue on. And then he said, "Ah, but no, he said slowly, he's the most. And he stopped and he started again and he stuttered and he stopped and he started again. 
And he said, in my view, he declared, he is the most important being who has ever lived on earth. He said, if I may put it this way, he said, as his voice began to crack, I miss him. I miss him. And with that, Templeton, he had tears flooding in his eyes and he turned his head and he looked off to the side, trying to raise his hand to shield his, his face from Strobel and his shoulders were bobbing up and down as he wept openly. How sad. How tragic. Charles Templeton died on June 7th of 2001. Now I bring him up again because when I read Hebrews chapter 10, I'm reminded of Templeton and the terrible cost of abandoning the faith. You see, a believer in Christ is simply someone who by the calling of God and by the grace of God has trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And for the believer, I think Hebrews 10 is warning us that there is something far, far worse than death. It is to walk away from the faith. You see, our text for this morning has plenty of firepower in it, which has led some to think that these warnings were written to unbelievers. But I think that the text is about to show us that they were not. And I would summarize our passage by this statement. OK, here it is. A believer who abandons the faith will face the temporal discipline of God. Let me repeat it again so you can let that sink in. A believer who abandons the faith will face the temporal discipline of God. Now, the writer of Hebrews, he starts out verse 26 by saying, for if we, it's important to stop and identify who the writer is referring to. These are people, if you've been following along in Hebrews chapter 10, these are people who had received the knowledge of the truth. Now, that is actually an expression that is used throughout the scriptures to refer to authentic believers. Just in the immediate context alone, the writer has been talking about people who are called brothers, verse 19. People who have been made perfect in their position in Christ. People who have experienced the forgiveness of sins. This goes back to verses 10, 14, 17, 18, and 29, referred to as God's people in verse 30. The writer includes himself by saying, for if we... So it should be obvious, looking at the context, that this is about believers. It's even connected in the Greek to the text right before it. And the word we, it really cannot refer to any other group of people than his readers and himself. You see, the writer is describing a Christian, a believer who abandons the faith. And he had just told them in verse 23 to hold fast to their confession because he was concerned that they might not. Notice the rest of verse 26. He says, for if we willfully, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth. You see, this is deliberate sin. This is not the occasional I sinned. This is not even the besetting sin or the habitual sin that the believer wrestles with. Listen carefully. He is warning about a deliberate, a determined, an intentional, willful abandonment and rejection of their Christian faith. This is a conscious rejection of God. This is an intentional sin done with a clear mind and a firm step. This is seen as to rebel against God himself. And what's the problem? The problem, it's really the prideful attitude behind this 
that is the problem. Now, again, remember the warning, and I keep bringing this text up, but remember the warning already given to the believers in chapter 3, where the writer said this. He said, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of what? Unbelief in departing from the living God. See, the author is now starting to describe this for us, this falling away that he already introduced in chapter 3. Now, I want us to skip ahead to verse 29 in Hebrews 10, because he goes on to describe it in verse 29, where it says, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? This is horrible. This is horrible. This text broke me up all week long. This is someone who has trampled the Son of God underfoot. To trample on someone is to show disdain. It is to show the lowest form of contempt for Jesus Christ. An apostate is a believer who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, meaning he rejects the person of Christ. He denies who Jesus Christ truly is. At one point in time, he acknowledged Christ's superiority, but now he denies the uniqueness of the Son of God. He regards Jesus as just another man, nothing special about Jesus. He treats the work of Christ with disdain. Now, not only does an apostate deny the person of Christ, but he also denies the work of Christ. And verse 29 goes on to say, that this person has counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. Now, the blood of the covenant, it's a reference to the blood of Christ that was needed to ratify the new covenant. And an apostate is a believer who turns his back on the work of Christ. He treats the work of Christ with disdain. And notice in verse 29 with me, if you would, this person, it says, was sanctified by the blood of the covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a reference to someone who has been set apart by God, a genuine believer. And when he was converted, he was forever set apart from the world unto God. But this person no longer considers the sacrifice of Jesus as a complete, final, unique work. In other words, it's nothing special. It's just nothing special. That his blood is somehow no different than the blood of an ordinary man or the blood of an animal sacrifice. And the apostate is one who also, according to verse 29, insults the spirit of grace. You see, this person wants nothing to do with the workings of the Holy Spirit in his life. He has turned his back on the things of Jesus Christ. He has deserted the Christian faith. And Scripture is telling us that it is possible for someone who was redeemed by God to abandon the gospel message that they once embraced. This is an insult to the Spirit of God because He is the one. He is the one who made God's grace available to you. He is the one who brought you to salvation. This person has an attitude of contempt for the salvation secured through the priestly sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, some of this we don't want to hear. I don't even really want to preach on this this morning. This is a hard truth of Scripture that it is possible for a believer to abandon the faith. It happens today. It happened 2,000 years ago. 
I remind you that the writer of Hebrews is addressing a congregation of Hebrew Christians who were tempted to jettison their faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because there was that threat of persecution that was coming. The very real threat of death was tempting them to turn back, causing them to seriously consider to return to their former religion of Judaism. But if they did that, the writer says at the end of verse 26, that for them, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Let's be careful with this phrase. All that this is saying is that if the Hebrew believers went back to those Levitical sacrifices, it just wouldn't do them any good. You see, animal sacrifices won't forgive their sins, and animal sacrifices surely won't take away their rejection of Jesus Christ. Even under the Levitical system, Numbers 15 tells us that for intentional sin, there was no sacrifice to offer that could stop God's judgment. A person who deliberately sinned like this was to be cut off from the people. And so for the Hebrew Christians, there was no point of turning back. The Levitical sacrificial system had no sacrifice that could help them. There was no good there. But in Christ, there was forgiveness. Because as believers, what do we have? We have the assurance that... As we read in 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, even the deliberate turning away from Christ can be forgiven for the believer in Christ. But you see, if repentance isn't there, if the stubborn believer in Christ refuses to turn back to the Lord Jesus, chastisement and discipline from the Lord is the only road ahead for them. Have you ever thought about how much a person can handle, especially when you're going through a difficult time? Well, National Geographic did a study once. I kind of like what they did because they wondered about the human body. They thought to themselves, well, what happens to the human body if you're stranded in the wilderness or you're caught somehow in a burning building or underneath the water when you find that your scuba tank has run out of oxygen? Those types of things. That's what they were looking for. And according to their study, humans can survive for just two to three minutes without air. But with training, it's possible to hold your breath up to 11 minutes. Now that didn't even seem possible to me. So I started to look it up. Do you know the world record is that someone held their breath for 24 minutes and three seconds? My mind is blown. That is incredible. Humans can survive for just 10 minutes at 300 degrees. That's good to know. Children can only survive a few minutes at 120 degrees. Humans can endure barely 30 minutes of exposure to water at 40 degrees. And we can survive for up to seven days, up to seven days without water and up to 45 days without food. So you can tell your kids that the next time they complain that they are starving to death. I would add to this list that according to Colossians 1, the world cannot survive even a single second without the sustaining power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would add that human beings cannot survive very long without hope. It's hard when things go wrong. So what happens if a Christian does walk away? What happens if a Christian does renounce his faith in Christ? What will happen? What can they expect? Well, a believer who abandons the faith will face the temporal discipline of God. And this is something that can be worse than death because they have turned their backs not just on God, but keep this all in the context of what we saw last week. 
They had turned their backs on the responsibility of being a part of the church to help one another mature in the faith in Jesus Christ. You see, this is to focus on ourselves and not on God. And if you do this, you are saying with your actions that you despise the word of God. You despise what he is teaching us about our responsibility in Christ. So let's back up and read this in context. Verse 26 again, and then verse 27. Let's read it again. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. So if a Christian turns his back, on the faith in Christ. What happens? What can they expect? Well, we know from the rest of Scripture that for believers, we will one day give an account how we spent our time at the judgment seat of Christ. You guys remember 1 Corinthians 3. It tells us that it's written to believers, and it says, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on it endures he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself, notice these words with me, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And notice that end part, he will be saved, but as through fire. You see, this judgment is only for believers. It will have nothing to do with our eternal salvation. And it won't even be about the forgiveness of sin because that has already been accomplished for us at the cross. If a person has made a lasting contribution to the work of Christ on that day, a reward will be given. But if not, the scripture tells us that their salvation, it will be intact, but they have been an unfaithful servant to Christ. And Paul gave the image here of this unfaithful servant being dragged to safety through the flames of his burning house. And I think the reward for faithful Christians I think it'll be opportunities in God's kingdom to glorify him by serving our creator. That's what I think it will be. But if you don't live for Christ now, you can forfeit that privilege in the future of ruling and reigning with Christ in his kingdom. Now, I wish I could stand up here this morning and tell you that in Hebrews 10, this is all about our future rewards for the believer in Christ. But it's not. It's not. It's something worse something worse than death. Because what Hebrews is about to tell us is that a believer who abandons the faith will face the temporal discipline of God. Now, if a believer renounces the faith, he can expect God's discipline in his life. But what kind of discipline? That's kind of the question. Remember, we're talking about believers. We're talking about people called out by God, given new life by God himself. But it cannot be the loss of eternal salvation. God will never send one of his people, one of his Christians to hell. Even one of his own that says the words that they reject him. Even one who is an apostate. See, Jesus himself said this in John 5. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, notice, but has passed from death into life. You've been transferred into life. You see, even if a believer renounces his faith, God will keep his promise. God gives eternal life to everyone who believes in Jesus, even if that person later walks away with the faith. 
Because hear me on this, his gift of salvation is not dependent on how we are going to live after. It's not about that. Second Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now you may be thinking of our text in Hebrews 10. You may be thinking of verse 27 in specific, which tells us that for these people, there's a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Boy, those, those are some strong, strong, strong words here in scripture. In fact, the wording is so strong that it leads many to think that this must refer to hell for an unbeliever, but I don't believe for a second it is. Remember, the author is writing to Hebrew Christians, believers who knew the Old Testament very well. And the Old Testament likes to use this image of fire to convey God's temporal judgment, where God's anger towards his people who sinned is described by this metaphor of a fire. And that is what verse 27 does. The author alludes to Isaiah chapter 26, verse 11, which refers to God's physical destruction of those who opposed him. Because James 4.4 teaches us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. You see, when we walk with the world, we get on the wrong side of things. We turn against God. We work against God. Do not underestimate the awesome power of God to both give life and to judge. See, verse 28 shows us this same thing, that we are talking of God's physical discipline upon his own people. Because it says this, it says, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Why? Because the Jews practice capital punishment, physical death. See, if a person disobeyed certain Old Testament laws, he would forfeit his life, physical death. But in the Old Testament, there had to be two or three witnesses to testify against the guilty one. Now read verse 28 again with me alongside verse 29. Let's read both of them. It says, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the son of God underfoot? counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. See, if a man who broke some Old Testament laws faced that immediate death, how much more severe will the punishment be for a believer who renounces the Son of God? Now, you may be wondering this morning, what can be worse than immediate physical death? Well, I can think of some things because sometimes the judgments... Sometimes the discipline that God puts his people under are worse than the immediate physical death. You see, sometimes it can just be the mental and emotional burden that comes when a believer lives out of fellowship with God. When they reject his ways and walk in sin, the guilt, the guilt upon the heart and mind can become unbearable. Sometimes it's the physical suffering. Not all suffering is because of that, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it's a physical suffering. And I think of King David because after his sin and adultery, he suffered through one loss and disaster after another. It was brutal. And just because God spared David's physical life doesn't mean he received a lesser punishment. 
Remember that after the death of Absalom, David cried out, 2 Samuel 19.4 says he cried out and said, but the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, oh my son Absalom, oh Absalom, my son, my son. See, I believe David meant it. Physical death would have been better than the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual suffering that he experienced because of his own sin. I wonder, and I don't know if I want to know the answer to this, but I wonder how much we suffer because of our own sin. Know this, Christians, your sin will find you out. It will catch up to you. And there are forms of temporal judgment that are worse than the physical death. Some judgments that make physical death a welcomed relief. The book of Lamentations, it shows us this, because if in the book of Lamentations, you see the prophet Jeremiah, he was just broken repeatedly over the sins of his people. When you remember that Jerusalem had fallen to Babylon because God's people had rejected him. And so God's discipline came. And in Lamentations, you see Jeremiah make statements like this in chapter four. The punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. And then just a few verses later, it says, those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. For these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. See, there are things worse than death. My mind goes back to the nation of Israel. Very few of God's people who were saved out of Egypt by the blood of the lamb actually made it into the promised land. Almost all of them died in the wilderness because there is a sin that leads to death, even for God's people. But those people suffered in the wilderness first for a long time. God does not always take the life of a believer who has turned against him, but he always, always deals with them. See, God offers us hope. God offers us grace. He offers us forgiveness. But if you don't want to take that road, he will offer something else, his judgment. Sometimes it's helpful to remember the past. Can you remember when the only internet access that we had was dial-up? Yeah, you're old. You're old right there. Can you remember when every phone had a cord? When diapers weren't disposable? When keeping in touch meant you mailed a letter. Yeah. When I was in college, my mom would write me a letter every single week. Every week. It would always come on Fridays. Every week. It wasn't too long ago, even in this country, when sickness would hit a town, that many, many people would just die. You didn't go to the doctor and just go home and take some antibiotics. You, you died. It wasn't too long ago in this country when the bathroom was always outside. It wasn't too long ago in this country when cataracts meant that you were going to be blind or when there were whole sections of the country that people just abandoned because there was no work or when your only vehicle was one horsepower because that's what it was. A simpler time, perhaps. But if you had medical problems, you died. If the country faced depression, you just did without. And if you wanted to go somewhere, you just didn't. Not everything in the past was perfect. Not everything in the past is something that we want to go back to. And you see, that's what the author of Hebrews is reminding the believers of. Because it wasn't all that great in Israel. God's people failed often. And because of this, God's judgment came upon them. 
So pick it up with me if you would in verse 30. He says, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The writer is quoting from Deuteronomy 32 at this point because Moses had to warn the people of Israel from turning away from the Lord as they were about to go into the promised land themselves. Here the writer is using this to warn the Christians about the same exact thing. The Lord will judge his own people. God judges his own. We're being warned that a believer who abandons the faith will face the discipline of God. See, judgment belongs to the Lord, and God's people are not excused from this judgment. It's a fearful thing, a terrifying thing to fall under the judgment of God. And if you want to turn away from God, if you want to reject the Savior, this is your warning, believers in Christ, that you should be terrified at the thought of God's chastening hand upon you. See, God is aware of our sin, and so each of us is responsible to work out the expression of our salvation with fear and trembling before a holy and righteous God. He is a righteous God, a God who cannot and will not overlook such deliberate rejection of him among his own people. See, his holiness demands perfect justice. God has claimed the right to judge his own people, and his holiness is so awesome. He alone is sovereign. His power is unlimited, and he will do exactly as he has promised. He will judge those who have turned aside from the gospel of Christ and deserted the community of faith. Way back in 1912, a medical missionary by the name of Dr. William Leslie, he went to live and minister to tribal people in a remote corner of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And after 17 years... He returned back to the United States a very discouraged man, believing he had failed to make any kind of impact for Jesus Christ. He died about nine years after his return. Fast forward in time with me to 2010. In 2010, a missions team led by a man named Eric Ramsey made an unbelievable discovery. See, what they found was a network of reproducing churches hidden like little diamonds scattered in the thick jungle just across the river from where Leslie was stationed. Missionaries actually discovered the churches hidden throughout the jungle of the Yanzi people. Now, this is pretty cool because each little village had its own gospel choir, and they wrote their own songs. I mean, they didn't have access to our songs, so they wrote their own songs, and they would actually have little sing-offs from village to village where they would sing with each other. Now, there is no Bible in the Yancey language, but the people had a French Bible. So if you taught the Bible, you had to learn French. You had to know French. And they found in, in their survey, they found a church in each of the eight villages that were scattered across an area of 34 miles. They even found this thing. It's a stone building. It's a stone building these people had built where they could seat up to 1,000 people. And even with this, it would get too crowded because people would walk for miles to get there, for miles to attend. 
What the missionaries in 2010 found out was that Dr. Leslie had traveled throughout this entire region. He had traveled throughout there teaching the Bible, promoting literacy. He started the first organized educational system in these villages. And for 17 years, he fought all sorts of crazy stuff. He fought sickness. He fought buffaloes that were constantly charging at him. He had armies of ants after him, a jungle infested with leopards just to bring the gospel into a remote land. And he died feeling like he had failed. I don't want that for you. I don't want you to spend your last days at the end of your life feeling like you failed. And sometimes I think God's people feel that way because we think that God wants us to be successful. It's not what he wants. He doesn't want that. He wants us to be faithful. And there's a big, big difference, isn't there? He wants us to let him determine how he will use us according to his sovereign plan. You cannot control what God is going to do with your life, but you can control this. You can control if you stay faithful to him. And you see, this has been a major theme, a major theme that has been running throughout Hebrews that God has spoken. But how are you going to respond, believer, to his word? You see, when the nation of Israel refused to trust his word, what did God do? He chastened them. When the church at Corinth got into sin, what did he do? He chastened them. Because God disciplines his children when they cross the line and reach that point when they continue in willful defiance of him. So what do you do as a believer in Jesus Christ? If you are someone who has drifted away into spiritual doubt as someone who is choosing to turn away from Christ you ask God for his strength even when you don't understand his plan for your life you turn back to God you turn back to his mercy you turn back to his forgiveness because there is no other sacrifice for sin because just as it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God for chastening let me also say this it is a wonderful thing to fall into his hands for cleansing and restoration. See, David, long ago, he said this same thing, and he said it exactly like this, let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very, very great. Find your way home, Christian, into the everlasting arms of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.